do that, and we will go ahead and get started. Now, we're continuing in the book of Mark, learning how to follow the king, and I'm excited about the, the transition that's happening this week. Uh, this week, Jesus throws down the gauntlet. All right. He's switching from all the things that he was doing before, and we're entering a new phase of ministry. Now, what, is, what does it look like to, to throw the gauntlet down? All right, what are we thinking? We're thinking of uh, in the Western. In the Western, when the two guys in hats face off on the, the, the dirt and the little tumbleweed goes by. All right, we're thinking uh, in the period pieces that Casey makes me watch, and I pretend I don't like, but I love. Um, they're like, there's a chivalrous lord. He, like, throws down, and he, he's challenged to a duel with the, for the honor of the, what he loves. This is the, the final showdown between superhero and supervillain. Like, all right, everything has been leading to this conflict. Jesus entering Jerusalem. And we're excited about this because... At this point, Jesus is done hiding. He's done like, explaining. There's no more like secret disciple meetings. He comes ready to, to fight the, the religious powers, in a sense. We saw Jesus come and kind of do the miracles, preach about the kingdom, kind of establish a name for himself among the crowds. All right, we also saw that Jesus kind of led his disciples and told them to pick up their crosses, showed them the path that he was to walk, and now finally he, he is walking that path. And at this point, it's either well, someone, is, someone is going to die, the conflict is coming to a head, there's, there's nothing left that is, uh, is on the table, everything is being taken. And with that, we see Jesus, he comes to claim his kingship once and for all, there can be no other king. There can be no other challenge. Either Jesus is king uh, or he's going to die. And we see him in this kind of remarkable duel, in a sense, offer his own life that he might die for his people. He's a remarkable king who takes on these powers but is willing to submit to death. So with that, let's look at Mark 11, verses 1 through 10. It should be on the screens in front of you. Mark 11, verses 1 through 10. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, in which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus comes as king. 
But we thank you that he comes as a certain kind of king. He comes as a great king of peace. He comes as the king who is ready to battle and, and die that we might not lose the battle with death and sin. Father, we ask that you might help us to, to receive Jesus as king and then to proclaim him as king. And Father, to pr- proclaim him in, in his very unique kingship. That we'd recognize the cross. We'd recognize the grace and mercy that's been poured out. Father, we are, we are astounded once again by the work of Jesus. Would you help us to, to delight in our king this morning? We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So first of all, uh, we have this colt. This colt that is untied. All right. They give a lot of, a lot of uh, ink to the... They didn't use ink back then, but uh, a lot of ink to just the, the untying of the colt. Well, that's one person thought it was funny. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, ancient manuscript humor. All right. Uh, all right. So... In classic kind of biblical narrative, okay, we have, we have the telling of the to do the thing, and then they do the thing. All right, why should we care about this colt that was tied up, and then they go and get him, and all right, it all has symbolic meaning. It all has symbolic meaning, hearkening back to the very first mention of the king, all the way back to Genesis 49, that when Jacob was, was offering blessings to his sons, of, he gave a special blessing to Judah, that Judah would receive the scepter, that Judah would be the one who receives the kingship. And hearkening back to that, echoing that, Genesis 49, 10 through 11, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. To him shall be the obedience of all the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine, his vesture in the blood of grapes. All right, so this is, this is the, the very first kind of promise of the messianic king that would come in the line of Judah. This is, this is long, long before Jesus would come of the line of Judah. And all right, what do we know about this king? This king is, is bringing lavish and abundant blessings. Now, why do we care? Okay, there's like, okay, so you, you tie your donkey to a vine because there's vineyards everywhere. There's this sign of blessing and abundance that, you know, you, you don't time to a tree, time to a, a, a vine because it's just brimming with the blessing of the Lord. And they have this, this weird thing where he washes garments in wine that, all right, the blessing is so abundant that there's more wine than water that you might as well wash your garments in wine. This promise of this king who would come and the people who are, who are hearing this, they're reading this, they're, they're being told the story of Jesus here, they, they would have known this. And they would have been waiting, like, okay, what is, what is the great blessing that Jesus is going to bring? If he is the great king, what is, what is it going to look like for the land to, to flow with wine, to be blessed and, and overflowing? Now, why do we care? We care because... This is the king who is bringing these blessings to his people. And if we are his people, we are, we are receiving these blessings. We are receiving our king. Finally, the prophecies of, of long past are coming to fruition. Our king has come. 
Our king has come and he's claiming his rightful spot in the kingdom. Now with that, then, he comes and he, he rides that colt into Jerusalem, verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, it's one thing for Jesus to come. It's another for him to be proclaimed in all of his glory, to be the king that has been hidden for so long. He is being proclaimed in, in all of his majesty, in all of the wonder. They are proclaiming the salvation of God and the worship that he has, he has finally sent his king after so long. All right. But I, I always found this confusing. Because, why did people just start all of a sudden praising him? I, I, maybe this didn't, didn't bother you, but like, it felt like it was kind of insincere. That all these people, all of a sudden, they're, they're into Jesus, and then a week later, they, they're proclaiming, crucify him. Why, why do they care about Jesus? Why are the people of Jerusalem, are they joining in? What's actually happening here? How do they even know that something is going on that's amazing? And that's where, if we look at this, it's, this isn't just the, this isn't Jerusalem that's responding. How is it that Jesus is coming in and triumphal entry? It's because his disciples have, have come with him. His followers, his disciples, they have seen Jesus. They have seen Jesus, and as they approach Jerusalem, they are going to proclaim that Jesus that they have seen and that they know to this, this great city. And so this isn't just this kind of, I don't know, excitement or, you know, they're not just getting swept up in the, in the rush of it all. No, these are people who traveled with Jesus all the way from Galilee. Those same people you saw two weeks ago who were afraid to go to Jerusalem the disciples who are shocked that, that we're actually going there. These are those same people who have followed Jesus and are going to Jerusalem with him up to the Passover into Jerusalem. Now it's remarkable that it seems like their, their fear has vanished. And before what they know is hostile ground, they are still proclaiming him as king. There's great beauty that for, and all the times the disciples get it so wrong, here, here they are boldly proclaiming their king. And they are filled with the joy that, that he is theirs and that the king has come. Now they've learned some things along the way. Last week we saw Bartimaeus. What did he, he was the blind man who had remarkable spiritual sight who wasn't blind to the reality of Jesus. And what did he call Jesus? But the, the son of David. He saw him before all else as the, or everyone else, that this is the great king who would sit on the throne of David forever. This is the, the coming king who had been promised. Second Samuel 7. That that king would never leave the throne. He had seen it. And now, 
from the blind man's sight, the whole crowd is now able to proclaim it. And what are they shouting at? They're shouting at, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. If we look at uh, what Bartimaeus did, when he, when, he, when he realized that this was Jesus calling him, he, he threw off his cloak. He threw off his cloak, this symbol of his security, his, uh, his kind of financial everything. It's this poor, blind, homeless guy, like, that is the thing keeping him from death in the cold, is this cloak. He casts it off. And now what, what is the whole, this, all of the disciples now are casting off their cloaks. They're throwing them upon the, the colts. It's this picture that they are not holding on to life. They are, they're casting their life into Christ. And that they, they are giving up and... and in some sense, giving over their daily provisions, their most basic needs to Christ, and trusting him as their king, that, that his colt might not touch the ground. Now that's where this triumphal entry, it didn't happen just because Jesus secured a colt. It happened because his, his followers proclaimed him as king. That the, that the king has a kingdom, that the, the prince has people. That there's this great song, but they need singers to go out and sing that song and declare it to the world and stand in the face of uh, the self-righteous religious establishment and the, the denial of the king. Now, I didn't, I didn't feel that when I've, I used to read the triumphal entry. And now I, now I see it, and I feel it, and I realize that, all right, we are part of this triumphal entry. That if Jesus is going to be proclaimed as king, if Jesus is going to come, and, and for the world to know that he is on the throne, it's going to be in part because we have declared him to be our king. If we have been willing to, to get over our fear and, and speak to the world, and sing the praises of our king. And declare that, you know, you know, he has done things. We have seen things that make him worthy of praise. If we've taken off our cloaks and cast them before him, making evident that he is king, the world will know. Now, as I say this, all right. Remind us, like, this is, the, this is the Lord who has done miracles, who, who has healed, who's exercised demons, who's walked on water, fed 4,000 and 5,000, resurrected people from the dead. All right, we have this great king, and we proclaim him to the world. All right, how can you, how can you proclaim Jesus as king? How can you sing his praises? How can you shout Hosanna? What cloak do you have to throw down before him that the world might know that, that you see him as your king? All right, these are the questions that we ask when we see this.
for the, for the joy of proclaiming his kingship. Right? This is not just a rush of emotion. This is the, the faithfulness of God's people, of us, proclaiming who we know him to be. Now, I know that the world stands against the, pro- the proclamation of that. All right, clearly the world stood against the proclamation here. Jerusalem does not want a king. Jerusalem already has a religious establishment. They already have a system they like. We still go and proclaim him as king. That they might be faced with that gauntlet that we talked about. That they, they would see that you're like, we're throwing, we're throwing it down that Jesus, Jesus is the king. Will you take him or leave him? What does it look like for you to do that? in your place, in your time, with the people you are around, are you doing that? Now, that then takes us to, to the, this last section. All right, who is this king? Who is this king that we proclaim? Because we want to make sure that as we present him, we make sure we get the, the right picture in mind. And if Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet, who's he actually taking on? Who's he bringing the fight to? And when you see this, uh, remarkably, in, in Zechariah, the fulfillment of Zechariah. All right, none of you read, read Zechariah. All right, should though. All right, the last half of Zechariah is, like, is remarkably clear. Like, you can see Jesus all over it. It's all there, and actually, if you parallel Zechariah, and you parallel it with the, the end of Mark, it's all the same themes. It's the exact same things 500 years earlier, predicting that this is how Jesus would go about these things. And it starts with Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. All right. This is the prophetic word proclaiming that, that this king would come and he would look just like this, the, the humble king. There are other ways a king can come. A, con- a, a, a king can come Riding, riding, oh, oh man, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> riding a white horse. He can come riding a white horse. Yeah, maybe we're scared of this. Uh, he can come with a, a sword as a tongue and with his robes dipped in blood. He can come to make war. He can come to, to demand his kingdom. But Jesus here, he is coming on a donkey for a reason. He is coming as the king of peace, the king of great peace. That even as he throws down the gauntlet to fight, he's doing so for the sake of peace, not for war, not for destruction, but actually for the sake of his people. And we often, we like, we quote Zechariah 9, 9, like, oh, it's like, that's one of those great little snippets. Like, it keeps going. It keeps going. And when the people saw this, they didn't stop at Zechariah 9, 9. They, they would have carried it through and been like, oh, no. We, we see that what he's going to do, we see the, the battle that he's entering into. We keep going uh, just, just through 9, 9 to 9, 10 and 12. 
I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem, the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. All right, what a, let's keep, keep that up there. Uh, all right, what, like, what a beautiful picture of the king who comes. And he comes to take on enemies, not so that we would be destroyed or that we might be guilt-ridden, but so that the, the enemies might be destroyed, that we might be released. This picture, the prisoners of hope. These are prisoners with hope because they know they're going to be released. Prisoners of of sin, of addiction, of of suffering, of pain, of conflict. Prisoners with great hope that the the king of peace has come to set them free. That's, That's who we are proclaiming when we say Hosanna in the highest. When we go out to, to share with the world that the king has come, we share that. To prisoners of hope, we share hope. We share the one who, who brings peace. And he throws down the gauntlet so that people might be set free. Why does he do it? All right, it's not because we are so righteous. It's not because we did all these things. It's because of the, the blood of his covenant with us. That his blood was shed so that he might make this agreement with you, this promise that he would deliver us. All right, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. And that was like, okay, yeah, so, so he comes to bring peace. All right, who's, he, who's he actually fighting with? Zechariah 11. Bringing us further down into the prophecy. He comes to take on the false shepherds. The false shepherds who are leading the people and are leading them astray are leading them into guilt and shame and slavery to self-righteousness. Who are setting up the people so that they, they feel defeated before God. And just further entrenching them into the, the bondage of trying desperately to do a good enough job to serve this God. All right, who does Jesus throw the gauntlet down against? He, the, the great thing about these next passages is like he takes it to the Pharisees, he takes it to the Sadducees, he takes it to the self-righteous, hypocritical, judgmental religious order that just constantly accuses the people of not being good enough and not being as good as them. And so when we proclaim our king, all right, we're... we're Proclaiming our king against those people. Against those people who would try to rule. And try to rule in a way that that just enslaves people in their sin deeper because of shame and guilt. All right, what a joy that we get to proclaim that king. The king that takes on those people. People don't like those people. You don't like those people. I don't like those people. I don't like when I suddenly find myself being that person. And he, he battles it. 
he takes them on and he becomes the, the king of peace. The good shepherd. The good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. All right, then he goes on. Uh, verses, or, uh, chapters 12 and 14, we have this. Jesus who battles idolatry and battles the, the religious system that keeps people from God and keeps people enslaved. Jesus, after this, he's going he's gonna to go and he's going to cleanse the temple. He's going to cleanse the temple from all of the, the worldliness of, of religion that basically says that the church is the same as the world. And it's just how much money you can bring to the table and how much power you can bring that you can be great in the kingdom of God. Je- Jesus comes to destroy all of that. And for one of the first times, he welcomes in all of the, the lame and the sick and the broken. And he says, no, like, this, is, this is your temple. Come pray. Come be with God. We're removing the barriers that would say that there's any kind of earning that would stand before you and your, your father. When we throw down the gauntlet, we, we stand against those people who would try to put barriers between people and God. We proclaim a king who, who welcomes people in by faith alone, by grace alone, who pours out mercy. All right, there's great joy in proclaiming this king. I pray that we would not be guilty proclaiming this king, that we wouldn't be ashamed of him. Uh, we wouldn't feel like we're... we're Slimy salesmen. No, they were giving people like this. This is the God, of, the God of peace, the King of peace, who delights in His people. But finally, finally, we we proclaim this King who. Zechariah twelve and thirteen. He is the shepherd, and he is the one who gets cut off. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Zechariah 13. This is the king who, who sees his, that his sheep are, are already in a duel. That they are already in a losing battle. That we are already in a losing battle with sin and death and the law. And we are trying to battle for righteousness and it is destroying us. And so what does Jesus do? He comes, he comes into the duel not, not to defeat the enemy in the first way, but first to, to lose for us. To lose for us and be crushed for us. To, to be defeated by death, to be defeated by sin, to be defeated by darkness. Because that, that, was, that was where we stood that we are his sheep, and he protected us from all of those things as the great shepherd. That's the king that we proclaim. We keep going. uh, Zechariah 12.10. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him, as one mourns for an only child and weeps bitterly over him, as one weeps over a firstborn. All right, how clearly we see Jesus here. The firstborn, son of God, pierced by his own people, pierced by the, the people of Jerusalem, the house of David, these inhabitants. And, and what is he proclaiming? He's proclaiming that, yes, they are going to be the ones who crucify him. They're going to be the ones who destroy him. And yet, what spirit is he going to send to them? He's going to send a spirit that, that redeems them. That they would see that they had killed the, the one true king. And they would draw them into mourning and into repentance that they might see salvation. All right, this is, what, this is fulfilled in Acts 2. This is fulfilled in Acts 2 when Peter preaches to the, the people of Jerusalem. And he says, you crucified the Lord. And they repent and are filled with the Spirit. All right, these are the enemies who killed Jesus. And yet the King of Peace, look, look at what he's doing. He's, he's drawing even them back into life. He's making peace with them. He's taking even their punishment. And I remind us of that just because, like, we won't always proclaim him perfectly. We will not proclaim him perfectly. We will, we will become afraid. And we will shrink back. Other times, there'll be times when we don't even acknowledge him as king. We don't want to sing his praises. And we don't. There'll even be times when we are shouting out, crucify him. We are not even in the crowd ahead of him. We are instead, we are the, the cold-hearted people of Jerusalem who don't want a king and hate this one who came as the king of peace. And Jesus can redeem even them. He sends his spirit to save them. All right. If he can do it for them, he is more than willing to do it for us. All right. You've done a lot of bad things. You didn't crucify Jesus. All right. That's pretty much the worst thing. Like, that's the worst thing I can imagine. You didn't do that. I think you're okay. All right. He comes as your king of peace. Now, why do I say this? I say this that we might not be ashamed of our Savior. That we might not be ashamed of our King. That we would joyfully proclaim to even a hostile world that this is the, the one true King who has come. This is the one who saves. This is the one who redeems. And that we might throw the gauntlet down and take on self-righteousness and take on the, the judgmental people and the, the religious order that would say that, no, you're, you're not okay with God. You need to work harder. You need to do more. Those are the people that, that we are most on the attack against. That is who Jesus came to battle. Finally, Zechariah 13.1. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin 
and uncleanness. There shall be a fountain open for the house of David and inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. All right, what is this fountain? Now, we talked about Genesis. Uh, we're jumping back. All right, focus. Genesis 49. We talked about how there was, there was going to be this great time of prosperity and where the wine will flow and, and you will, the king will, will wash himself in the wine and there'll be such abundance and such blessing. And maybe we thought for a second, you know what, Maybe the disciples thought for a second, yeah, that, that's what I need. That's what I want. I just want wine flowing all over the place. All right. And then we see, oh, wait, what is this wine? This is the blood of Christ being poured out for sinners, washing them clean. To cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. That is the great blessing. That, that mercy and grace and forgiveness flow down from the cross. And everything, everything in this kingdom speaks of forgiveness and grace and mercy. That is the king that we proclaim. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That is the blessing of our king. That is the king that we proclaim. That is the king that we worship. Let us throw our gauntlet down with the world. Let us put our, put our place with our Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus as the King of Peace. We could not stand if you sent him as that king on the white horse before sending the King of Peace. And Father, I ask that we would receive him, we would rejoice in him, that we would proclaim him. And Father, that we would take on the that same gauntlet that we would throw it down and father that you would help us to to battle self-righteousness to battle judgment and and pride and the world that would seek to find righteousness in in themselves father would you give us great courage we know that that most of these people they proclaimed it once and then they they ran when they saw Jesus crucified. Father, would we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that, that there is victory in him, that there is life in him, that, that death was not the end, that he found the, the final victory. Would you help us to live in that victory and to, to continue to proclaim Christ in all of his glory? We pray in Jesus Christ's name.